welcome to this week's VFX show where Matt and I are going north of the wall. Yes, it's uh, end of Game of Thrones, the largest television event in the VFX calendar. We've had uh, many spectacular sequences, but uh, this time we're going to talk about the last two episodes of the current series of Game of Thrones, uh, Suicide Squad, as I like to call them, going north of the wall, and of course, um, <laughs> some uh, spoilers alert, of course, uh, some uh, pretty bad things that happened to the wall itself. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm really good. It's it's great to be uh, back in the uh, proverbial saddle here, as it were, The uh, and uh, getting back to doing a show. I know we've we both... Uh, uh, have had pretty crazy busy summers. I know yours was pretty wildly busy, as I bet a lot of people maybe saw you uh, this summer at Seagraph. Yes, Seagraph um, was a fairly big event for me. We actually did try and organise some other uh, podcasts between uh, last one we did and this one, but they all did seem to come together for some reason. Um, but we're glad to be back now. But yes, I was super busy uh, at Seagraph in uh, in LA and I had a good time. Um, yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I, it seems like this was a, a good one to jump in with. I know there's a few other uh, shows that we've talked about, but this seemed like a good one given that uh, it kind of just occurred and it seems like it's kind of uh, in the cultural zeitgeist right now. Everybody's kind of been, for the last couple of weeks, I think, talking about the uh, the season finale or the penultimate and final episodes of, uh, I guess... Is it was it the end of the season or the end of half of a season? I'm I'm not quite uh, sure. Well, how, we'll, we'll uh, call it the end of the season just for for conversation. But I mean, I, I believe we're not going to see the rest until 2019. Is the current rumor? Right. Um, the thing is that uh, yes, there are some episodes that we will come back and revisit. In particular, um, the last Rise of Planet of the Apes film will, I think, uh, go into what I'm going to call our Oscar time scale. Because um, I think oh, it's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, so we can reserve that one for then. Um, and then there's some other good films, and there are a bunch of new films coming out. And so there are a couple of films you thought we were going to go down the path of, and they didn't resonate at the box office, and we decided to um, <laughs> to not. Uh, it's been a weird. It's been a weird year box office wise that way too. I I keep seeing uh, you know all kinds of stories about you know this being one of the worst summers, and um, you know kind of all kinds of. Uh, uh, you know, a gloom and doom uh, here and there, but but at the same time too, I think you know there was a pretty a good selection of films this summer that did pretty well and that had some amazing uh, effects in them. And uh, when you look at what's coming down the pike uh, in the next couple months, I mean, it seems like we're definitely going to be seeing. Uh, a huge surge in uh, ticket sales for things like Blade Runner, and I'm sure for um, Star Wars, the next uh, Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, me too. Well, okay, let's go to television though, because we do love television, and um, I've got to say the work that's been done by um, the VFX companies that have been contributing to uh, television visual effects generally and Game of Thrones in particular, it's just been outstanding. I'm going to say. Uh, just in terms of, I oh don't know, let's pick character animation on the dragon in Game of Thrones. I mean, you know, you'd be hard pushed to say it's B quality animation, Matt. I mean, it's just spectacular. Well, it's, yeah, it was, that's the word I was going to use too, spectacular. And I think one of the things, I mean, certainly like all the movement, the animation, the facial expression, one of the things that at least in these these last two episodes where now the dragons in the in the story have grown in size to being you know fully grown uh, some of the stuff that i find just so really interesting to watch and they're they're interesting um, physiological choices and they're interesting animation execution but the way in which the um, the skin uh, traveling down the neck of the uh, dragons when the the head turns it has an almost um, not sure what you'd call it, but it's it, almost like a there's a wave-like motion that passes through the skin, but in a not in a uh, like a linear sine wave, but more like a, a rotational kind of wave. And that movement adds so much uh, believability, so much um, scale and heft, and um, and really life to the characters. It's one of the things as they've gotten larger that I think has been really exciting, um, as almost like a secondary kind of animation that adds a I think a huge amount of believability. I've got to say I'm more impressed these days with character animation in terms of like a dragon than I am in terms of uh, large, large volumes of um, massive type crowds because um, mm -hmm. I, I, I think you're right. That's the detail in the skin and the way that uh, the quality of the rendering that is so good. Um, but you don't kind of don't get that in these wider shots. Now, obviously, there are other aspects to the rendering in the wide shots, the use of instancing, the massive use of uh, non-repetitive 
and not obviously repetitive um, loops and stuff. But if I see a giant crowd running at someone, I've kind of, it's less jaw dropping to me than right now seeing, you know, just some terrific, especially contact work with the dragon. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad members, what are left of them climbing on dragons, uh, you know, uh, mother of dragons climbing off dragons. Um, the dragon <laughs> in particular, if I can be specific, that appears and uh, drops off the mother of all dragons at the dragon lair or the dragon th- and whatever it is that they meet to have the um, massive powwow in. Um, as mm-hmm. it sort of comes down the side of that ruin and then um, sort of it balances its weight on what's there and but sort of gently allows her to get off. I just thought that was a cracker. I mean, that's one of those go-to shots that I was like, wow. Because that's, that's what I think sort of provides an animator with spectacular opportunities, not necessarily the... Um, you know, flying around, uh, firing out fire, which is an effects animation thing to be sure, but really it's not a nuanced animation. But that nuanced animation of it kind of crawling half, kind of stepping down um, was one of my all-time favourite shots in this particular sequence. I thought it was great. Yeah, well, and it's it's a it's a really great prompt for an animator too in a sequence like that, I think in the way you're describing it, where, you know, you're not only... The one thing that, you know, we often hear as sort of a, a classical... Um, uh, uh, maybe I don't want to say complaint, but a classical sort of shortcoming that we look at when we, um, you know, critique animation, certainly of large uh, characters and objects is, you know, we always talk about gravity and the weight of a character. But one of the things that's so great about that shot in particular is both the mass of the, the dragon, the, the its weight being sort of conveyed both through its its lower body and its leg motion, the collapse of the structure, but then it's almost like um, you know, somebody trying to hold a uh, like with with the the mother of dragons on its on its back. It's like someone trying to hold a glass of water without spilling it while it's kind of uh, somebody's tripping or falling forward, you know. So it's there's two things happening uh, physically with the body that the animators are, are trying to address, which is both of that sort of landing, the collapsing of the structure, but also that maintenance of, of um, the rider and trying to sort of gently um, deliver her to, you know, this, uh, <laughs> this meeting or whatever. So I think it's kind of exciting that, you know, you wind up having a, a challenge as an animator where you're trying to match um, sort of these two simultaneous events and there's this kind of uh, specific motivation for it. Yeah, I have to say that uh, it's also done in full daylight so there's not like a lot of places to hide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was just not anywhere really obvious where you were going to be able to um, to go from the rendering point of view. So the animation, while obviously spectacular and I, and I really like it, um, yeah, it's also just well integrated into the shot, well lit, well textured, um, the right amount of kind of distress, but by the same token, you know, um, yeah, there's just, I don't know, just Danny yeah, looks I mean, good on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I did see, I was starting to see if I could find it here really quickly. I should have looked for this before we started, but I did have a, a little audio uh, trouble getting going today. But um, there was a pretty great uh, video breakdown that was shared uh, online that showed a lot of the stuff in these final two episodes. The one about um, the I, frozen lake sequence? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, that's like just from El Ranchito or whatever it is. Yep. Right, El Ranchito, El Ranchito I believe, is, which is the little ranch in yes. Spanish, right? So I'm assuming it's a uh, a play on uh, the both band from the ranch and Skywalker Ranch. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, no, they, they did it really I interesting it. work, I thought, and it was really interesting to see how many different countries contribute visual effects teams to this stuff, not just obviously the big companies doing, um, you know, sort of obviously uh, work that's distributed around the world. But I mean, like, you know, these are companies that uh, are not your obvious sort of Hollywood um, post houses. I mean, I know in the earlier eps, like I think four or five, um, Allura in Melbourne, I think was doing stuff. There's stuff happening out of, um, or Method anyway. And then there was... uh, Stuff you know from from a bunch of different companies contributing to these uh, sequences. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's great to see the um, uh, the range of companies that are actually getting to contribute to this stuff. Um, that sequence that you're talking about, which was um, 
you know, posted online, especially uh, it focuses on the uh, destruction sequence. So what I thought was really interesting that it's not so much the the dragon stuff. Obviously, that's that's good, and and um, so it's the destruction sequences, or rather the debris sequences, the debris effects and stuff. Because you've got those flames hitting the um, snow, which of course. You know, oh, you mean at the at the end sequence when uh, the the sort of uh, the the Walking Dead dragon uh, is destroying the wall? No, 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 no. Is I'm actually talking about at, at the uh, frozen lake. Um, so the, oh, okay, the okay. debris sequence there, I think, is really spectacular. You've got these flames coming down and hitting, um, obviously, the meant to be the you know undead army. But what's happening, of course, is it's ripping up a lot of snow and ice that's above the water. So you've got kind of spray from the water. You've got ice coming off the... You've got sort of loose snow that's on top of the ice, as it were. And of course, the flames all interacting. Um, yeah. And it's it's believably dense in its debris, but not so much that you've just got a giant amount of sort of steam that means you can't see anything. I just... I just both well executed just from a technical point of view, but also sort of well art directed in that it just feels mm-hmm. like a believable amount of stuff being thrown up. And yet that huge amount of stuff being blown up doesn't preclude us from seeing what's actually going on. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that's really evidenced in that whole sequence too, especially when <laughs> looking at their breakdown reel, which maybe we can uh, throw up in the uh, show notes here too, but um, is... The, a really amazing uh, amount of compositing that's going on here too in terms of really taking uh, a large number of layers and, and sort of really dialing them in just right so you can really get to see um, all those bits and pieces like you're saying without obscuring the action. I mean, there's a whole host of really interesting, um, and you know, it's fairly straightforward, but it's, it's rich environment work, um, adding uh, sort of hills and... Uh, um, uh, snow-bound uh, areas to the background, um, all you know, while tracking. Uh, not in every shot, but in a lot of these shots, a, a moving camera. Um, you know, huge amounts of the um, the digital uh, sort of extras inserted. Yeah, because I thought that's the, what uh, you're going to go to. Because I thought what was interesting. Because when I said I wasn't super, you know, in love, or not in love, I, I was not super jaw-dropping on the large crowd sequences. I know that they're hard to do, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to diss them. But they just, for me personally, don't um, uh, hit. But what I do like, and I, in terms of a technical, um, uh, I guess, aspirational kind of work thing, is the way that you've got the foreground guys having a lot of transparency. So there's one guy that, you know, obviously when the hound stupidly throws the rock that shows that the ice is thrown over, which is, you know. <laughs> right, right. Apart from the profanity and a large amount of swearing in this uh, uh, frozen lake sequence. Um, one of the funniest things that, uh, that happens. <laughs> um, anyway, when he does that, um, you've got this one guy that kind of walks out and clearly he's a green screened person, but you know, they've removed that, but just removing green screen doesn't solve your problems or rather, not green screen, but like green cloth on that person. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the guy who gets his mandible knocked off with the stone, right? It's, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so it's a guy uh, in the real, it's it's really clear to see what what's going on. It's a guy in a in a green screen sort of gimp suit, but with uh, parts of some costuming uh, on top of it. But when they do the the comp and show the reveal, it's there's a lot more going on there. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is that um, like when you've got a, a green screen behind a crowd of people running towards you, you're going to pop in behind it a an element. It could be three D, it could be two D element, whatever. But it's going in behind them and it sort of builds out. What we're talking about here is really delicate compositing in in actually replacing stuff that because all the green screen does is create the hole. You, you know, you mm-hmm. need to plausibly fill the hole when there's a lot of stuff happening in sure. front and behind of that person. And so, obviously, if you've got a huge crowd and you've just got a green screen behind them, well, putting stuff behind that is relatively uh, easy compared to you've got limbs, bones, and whatever with cloth that's meant to be wrapping around a now a bone instead of a whole leg, which has got to be, what, like mm-hmm. a quarter or a fifth of the diameter. Um, and, and all of that is happening in a foreground element that we're looking at because your eye is going to it, whereas the crowd running towards us with a green screen behind it, again, I'm not trying to dish that shot, but I'm just saying, like, my eyes are on the crowd in the foreground anyway. Um, totally. Uh, whereas, like, when you've got that foreground character that's kind of fighting or doing whatever and half their limbs are not there... Wow, that's some detailed work at uh, at comp as well as three D level. I mean, selling that in is just very finicky work. Well, and there's so many smart things that are going on too. Uh, I think this is one of the things I think is so exciting about, uh, like when we did our shows on um, 
Westworld and then talking about this show too, both HBO shows, strangely enough. But um, I think what's really exciting about this level of work in quote unquote television is it's really, uh, you know, it's on par with the kinds of things that we see in cinematic work. I I feel like it's really, there's no difference other than the exhibition venue. Um, And so when you're, when you're looking at this, uh, stuff in this most recent Game of Thrones, I mean, there's also an incredibly intelligent way in which all of these elements are shot. They're making creative decisions about the layout of, in this particular sequence we're talking about anyway, the frozen lake, um, the the choices they made about how to frame the sequence directorially, how to art direct sort of where these events are taking place, how they board out the sequence. And then when they're on set and they're shooting these shots, they are having... um, a lot of these shots with the uh, the sort of walking skeletons and replacing what's in the background. What they've done is they've uh, there are there's some live action actors behind the actor who's being replaced, but then there's a host of the uh, the sort of digi doubles in the background, and they've also layered in all of the event is taking place within the context of. Um, you know, some wind wind blowing, uh, snow drifts, and things of that nature, and I think all those things come together in terms of uh, the elemental uh, bits and pieces, but also, uh, and, and the weather, but also like the shot composition, the way in which they've chosen to um, isolate and show these characters in particular, they're really um, not skimping in any way on the action or on the narrative pieces, but they're also smartly shooting the visual effects to sort of maximize the yield that they're going to be able to get on what I would imagine was probably... A, much, a longer schedule for these last two episodes, maybe, than what they would normally get, but I bet you it's not a, a feature-length schedule, too. No, you, you're completely right there, I'm sure, the uh, the nature of just episodic, and also just, you, you know, you're splitting up your team, like you've got a big team on this anyway, but you've got multiple different uh, teams working on different um, mm-hmm. areas. Um, I, I will say this, though, that uh, I felt, I don't know why, I've always felt this, that the um, the snow stuff looked better beyond the wall than it does at the wall. I always felt like at the wall it looks like either a miniature or um, or just something that I can't get behind. And it may just be that the wall is so big that I don't really buy it. I probably bought it the most when it was being ripped <laughs> apart. Um, yeah, uh, yeah but, I would concur. But there are times with the wall. I think there's something about the, the wall as a structure. Um, it it physically, uh, from a design point of view, I think the wall doesn't convey scale appropriately. Yeah. Like, I, it, there's something, it's almost like it's it doesn't have enough, or it, at least it's not um, displayed in such a way in a larger number of shots to have the kind of more high-frequency detail um, that you'd expect something of that enormous scale to have. I think you do see it start to have that kind of, it conveys that, uh, in the final sequence of uh, this season in the, the semi-destruction of part of the wall, mm. I think it does start to then uh, be demonstrative of a higher level or, or a bigger scale because we're actually seeing not just the kind of um, sheen, the icy surface of uh, the wall itself, but we're seeing um, it start to kind of splinter apart and break into smaller uh, smaller bits and pieces. And so that uh, level of detail starts to then at least for me, I, I feel like it started to bring it more into a sense of scale that seemed appropriate. But I think it's always seemed kind of like a weird structure. There's a scene in, I can't remember what season it is, but where they come back and they're climbing the wall. I don't know if you remember any of this stuff, but they're actually... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I remember it very well. Some actually. of the... Some of the, uh, the what do you call them? The, the free men who live north of the wall and women. They're actually with like uh, ice axes and stuff. They're they're climbing the wall, and some of those shots and some of the the structural elements of it don't look quite as sophisticated uh, scale wise, uh, at least to my memory. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult. Um, and but I've sort of definitely in the earlier episodes just felt the same way about the ball. It just didn't really kind of resonate with me as being um, the most successful thing. And um, and again, you know, it's one of those things like if I was given the brief to make an impossibly huge wall like that, I don't know what I'd do to make it any better. It's like you kind of, you know, sure. you're kind of <laughs> limited in what you can pull off. Um, what did we think yeah. about the, um, you want to get back to the dragon pit? Like, um, mm-hmm. I mean, the the 
that environment, I don't know how much of that was real or not, but it felt so real that we kind of just didn't even mention the, 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 the space that they were in. Now, obviously, some of it isn't real, like the giant overhanging rocks up in the, in the air. But, um, but we talked about the dragon in the dragon pit, but not actually the, the environment itself, because that's like sort of a less obvious environment. I and mean, I think we've almost got sort of blasé in like these uh, incredible, uh, you know, um, places that, uh, that uh, we find our characters in. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's one of the strengths of this kind of show too, is that I think there is a lot of that sort of work that's going on in order to flesh out and create a lot of these digital environments. And and it's not unlike, um, you know, I'm, uh, the digital map painting and the digital set extension um, is not unlike in some shots, things that you might have seen, um, you know, in ye olden times of uh, matte paintings on glass. Uh, in some of them, you know, um, there's a couple shots, not the the Colosseum set that you're referring to in the last two episodes, which I think, I actually think that's really strong. I think it's it's really mm. difficult to tell where the physical location ends and where any digital set yeah. extension might uh, exist. I think, you know, it, it really does look like, uh, you know, a, gladiatorial sort of, you know, Colosseum style setting, the kinds of things that actually remind me of the, um, uh, the Colosseum and some of the smaller Colosseums, uh, from the movie Gladiator, even it's kind of of that ilk, although I think, um, executed in a more sophisticated way in, uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, of course it's, you know, a decade or more later, um, from when uh, Gladiator was made, but, really strong work and but then I, I know I've noticed too there are times where we go back and we see I'm gonna sort of betray my um, my lack of uh, deep Game of Thrones knowledge but um, oh no there's a <laughs> there's a couple uh, castles I can't remember if one of them I think is the castle. There are that a couple was... of castles in Game of Thrones that is true Matt that is, <laughs> that is definitely true I, no honestly I've <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, there's, a, there's a couple, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of. There's two in particular. There's one um, where it's the castle where you know there are uh, a whole lot of people like, sitting around right now just yelling at the. At the, the yeah, come on, you idiot! <laughs> Do your research. No, one of them is the castle where it's like it's got that hole in this in the 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 one room that it like drops off and they throw people through the hole. Oh, I remember that one. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know we've seen that castle a few times at a great distance, sort of like on its, you know, precipice. It's sort of up on a hill. And there are times where, you know, those those paintings, those vistas of castles in those setups, I think work better than others. I've, I know there's a few of those shots that, um, just to be a little critical in the course of the series, a couple of those shots I don't think are as well-designed or maybe as well-composited or executed Um not not all of them, but I, I think there's a few that kind of stick out, and those are tough ones to do too because you know you're you're relying on um, everything in a you know usually a pretty wide shot. You're trying to get all these sort of vanishing points correct on a level of architectural detail to a structure that you know is, is really just totally made up, right? Um, one of my favorite of ones is, is where the Greyjoys come from, their castle, right? Theron's castle. Like I thought that was like a really good you know, the island that. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the Iron Islands, is, I think they call them. Uh, but that is a particularly like dramatic, unrealistic in one sense, yet totally sells um, kind of castle. I thought that was uh, both well executed and, and sort of good uh, design. So, yeah. Well, and there, I mean, I guess that's the other thing too, is that, you know, I've never been a huge fan of uh, like the fantasy genre. I think like, uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a maybe a, a small reputation for being uh, one of the few people on earth that wasn't a big fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, in fact, um, you're the only person. <laughs> they, they, they did a poll and they couldn't find anyone else. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think a few more people joined me uh, in The Hobbit. No, uh, I think that, that is also uh, true. <laughs> are you, but, are you uh, deep but, into the mythology of this show? I mean, are you like, you know, deep in the weeds? No, you know. I can't. I have not read any of the books. I came to the show a little bit late. Um, I think you know. I watched a few episodes the first season that came out, and I was sort of like, "Huh, it's like um, the Lord of the Rings with like naked people, you know, <laughs> and like way more <laughs> violence, you know." And it sort of seemed like, "Well, that's that's interesting," but it was one of those ones where um, 
I think some people knew the the property or they were really up for this kind of genre and they just, you know, they consumed it right whole hog right out of the gate. I, I, and I cannot think- speak Elvish and I liked Lord of the Rings, but I'm not, you know, that sort of like deep in it. But at, around our right, family right. dinner table, there are extensive discussions whether, you know, Brian the Three-Eyed Raven is in fact the Night King and, you know, all the conspiracy theories that we enjoyed in, um, in uh, when we're talking about Westworld-type levels. Westworld, sort of, sure. Are yeah, you, I mean, you going I there I, on that I stuff? Can, I mean, he can I, move I through mean, time, right? Like, what are the implications of that? Those kinda, I don't have friends that I have those conversations <laughs> you with. You don't have friends um, that I have those conversations. <laughs> but, but I, 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 I do have those conversations. Sorry, just a sort of what? call here, right? Like from the ref, <laughs> um, you and I are having this conversation. Am I meant to read something into that? Like no, you're no, not no. my friend. I mean, I mean, like in the way that you're describing, like sitting around the dinner okay. table with your with your family and your your kids, and sort of the conversation that's ongoing. I guess what I'm saying is, um, so you weren't like, you weren't sort of screaming when Littlefinger <laughs> bought the dust. You weren't worried about. No, you know, it's it's so funny. Like I've I've tried to get my wife to watch this show with me, yeah. and she was always kind of like, ah, you know, I'd rather watch like, you know. A, a PBS, a public broadcasting like documentary. On, okay, I thought you'd you go know, the other way and say, uh, you know, Girls or you know, The Bachelor or something. No, that's good. P- PBS. No, is- she'd re- she'd rather watch like something that was like true historical. Yeah, sure. And I think she sometimes looked at Game of Thrones and was like, well, it's so ridiculous. Like, you know, it's it it's supposed to be kind of historical, but there's it's not historical at all. Like, none of this ever happened, but it's set in this time. And so I think like there was a leap of. Um, uh, suspension of disbelief that like was hard for her to arrive at. But this last season, like I will say she like begrudgingly started watching it with me and kind of got hooked on it, you know? So, and now wants to go back and like <laughs> watch the previous season. So okay. it was like somehow this season was like the gateway drug. Cause you know that her. there's like tons of great stuff in this episode. Like, you know, at, when they're at the, um, at the dragon pit and she's like, a dragon is not a slave. You know, that's a line from like, I don't know, three series ago when when uh, somebody thought he was buying one of her dragons and the dragon just, you know, completely incinerated the guy. And Right, and, right, yeah. Like there's no, tons of like foldback stuff to, um, you know. Well, let me, let me ask you. High Valyrians so and stuff. We jumped right into the visual effects, which I'm yeah. sure is satisfying to some Most people, yeah, uh, sure. listeners. But, but um, just to go back a little bit and something that we normally would do, like, I mean, were you a fan of this from the get-go? Did you come? Did you start watching this, or did I, you come I, to it later? I, I, I definitely left it after the red wedding. I was like, I am done. He's <laughs> like, anyone I care about in the show, you kill. <laughs> I refuse <laughs> to care about anyone else, which is why I was very worried that the sisters uh, were going to go at each other in uh, in the last episode, and why mm-hmm. in our family mm-hmm. we were cheering when. Uh, when uh, the the head turns and the accusation of treachery was aimed at, you know, he who shouldn't have still been alive at this point, given all the other great people that have died, and also so many, yeah. you know, like I, I like getting behind a character. I think I've discussed this before. I have a problem with um, with uh, uh, House of Cards in that like everybody's so despicable that I just can't get behind right, anyone. Right. Um, and while <laughs> I like the odd kind of Cersei does the you know the deed with uh, you know wiping out entire um, sort of truckloads of her enemies with uh, with single sort of incinerations of fire. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, I do, I'd, I'd like someone that, other than a villain to get behind, right? And so obviously, um, you know, John has been the, you know, that we thought he was dead as well. And that was like, again, I would have been well, out was, of the show. Dead. I would have been, that's it, I'm done. There's <laughs> just, I came back and you killed him. Now, my theory of this, of course, is that the writing team got ahead of the author and so this last series represents non-novel based plot lines effectively so i think he's take they've taken pity on people i think if these 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 last eps had been based on the last books which you know they overran the books right that Mm -hmm. we would have seen john dead and buried and i would have been not here talking about it with you this evening yeah, I wonder, you know, that's that's really interesting. It that's that's the one criticism. So I talk about it. I have been talking about the show with my students, right? So yep. I have, you know, a lot of undergraduate students that I teach every semester and, you know, they're all 
you know, heavy into illustration. They love working in 3D. They're really into, you know, cinema and drawing and um, design and stuff like that. And so, you know, they're really interesting. And we sort of joke that we're like the nerd department, you know, like it's all the nerdy kids who like certainly have their, their, uh, you know, favorite uh, fandoms of this, that, and the other. But there's a lot of Game of Thrones fans. So we talk about all this stuff. And it's interesting to hear from people who, have really spent a lot of time reading the books. Maybe they're big consumers of uh, sort of uh, you know science fiction and fantasy as genre. And to hear people talk about this season in particular and these last two episodes in the way you're describing it as being really satisfying in a way, but also feeling like in some ways it almost feels like it's from a different show. Like it feels like where they're they're. Uh, trying to wrap certain storylines up, you know, in a really neat and tidy bow, and they're sort of doing a lot of fan service, uh, which is an interesting perspective. I, it's hard for me to see it that way. I sort of feel like, oh, finally, like you know, the tides feel like they've turned in a way that's uh, well. We've got some big things, right? Like, let's let's look at what visual effects are going to have to be solved in the next series. So, mm-hmm. for a start, yeah, you've got like, I mean, whether. Obviously, the Three-Eyed Raven is, in fact, linked to the Night King. I'm, that's, that's like full speculation off the... That's like silver hat. I mean, so tinfoil like hat that department, I like idea, right? though. That's cool. That's very, um, that's very like, Westworld theory. Yeah, but leave that aside for a second, because right? obviously he is otherwise just death. He who will never mm-hmm. speak. I mean, the, produ- the, um, the showrunners have said that. He'll never speak. He is death, right? What's death going to say? Anyway, um, so... There is a bunch of stuff going. First, by the way, also on conspiracy theories, did you notice? Because one of the members of my household did that. Each of the guys standing behind um, the Night King, there were three of those um, arrow rod things that they use spears to bring down dragons, and then the other guys had other things. It was like they planned the whole thing to take out all three dragons. This was not an accident. Going back to this, so. (laughs) <laughs> what have they got to do in the next show, right? They've got to do this huge battle, obviously, between the Night King as they come through the now collapsed wall. Um, but that's that's obviously like a thing. But then you've got the entire battle uh, that's going to happen between Cersei and um, whether John stays aligned now we've discovered that he's sleeping with his first aunt's cousin's brother-in-law sister. You know, wasn't it just straight up like it's his aunt, isn't it? Like, whatever. But my she, point is, like, everybody seems to everybody in the show, and <laughs> whatever is that going to be a problem? I don't know. But we assume it will be, right? And also, he's now the the you know heir apparent for the the game of other uh, the the throne itself, the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. But my point is that there's going to be some internal battles from the south. There's a battle with everybody south of the wall with north of the wall. There's like a lot of visual effects still to be done and a lot of drama to still be played out. And don't forget there was that we're going off to get a whole lot of uh, mercenaries surprise move instead of it being a cowardice exit from the uh, dragon uh, pit. It was a tactic or associates, right? So you've got another army coming in that's, you know, so you've got at least, and then you've got a combined army um, heading north, a sort of a rogue army from the side. You've got mm-hmm. um, a massive army from the north, and you've got like sort of internal strife. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be big. And that's before we hit what happens on the water, because I feel like all of this is a land battle, and I can't imagine that we're going to not have stuff at sea, given that we've established navies so strongly in this uh, particular part of the season. They're setting up. Well, some and we're going to have we're going to have dragon on dragon action, right? Well, yeah, I some D on D. So you know, yeah. <laughs> that in of itself is going to be pretty pretty. Uh, One of the things though that they did betray in this last season that I thought was really interesting. Now this is sort of it's also it was an interesting visual effect, but it's also an interesting plot point to the story was that when one of the um, like not the 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 night king, but like one of his like bros yeah. when. Uh, He's killed all the people that he has sort of under his spell brought back from the dead. They instantly are destroyed, yes. right? So, so that's kind of an interesting, like, not quite sure what that means, like where that goes. It just is sort of like you know, you take out you you the uh, a decapitation strike, so to speak, right? You take out the leadership, and uh, the rest of the army literally falls apart. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's definitely it opens up a whole host of uh, interesting uh, possibilities. It would be uh, sort of just desserts too to see uh, uh, what's her name. That was that was the one shot I didn't understand in the final trailer, which it was it was really cool. But winter comes to um, 
the the capital, whatever it's called, the um, Winterfell, where uh, what? No, where where Cersei and the, and those guys are. Like, wasn't there a shot in the conclusion where all of a sudden snow is falling? Yeah, yeah, on, the he, on his glove, the capital, on, on Jamie's glove. I yeah, think once he noticed it, yeah, when he was pulling on. Yeah, um, so so that's kind of interesting for like you know the the south, which has always been this kind of warm, kind of Mediterranean climate, to now be subject to. Um, to this other kind of, uh, you know, the, the winter has arrived. And I don't know if that's just thematic or if there's some aspect of that that's indicative of okay, well, these in, in uh, similar armies f- of the dead coming south. Or Is Tyron Lannister Targaryen? That's another one I want to know. Like the dragons don't get freaked out when he's around. Like Danny and John, we got that, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. do we not think that Tyron is, and that's why his father hates him so much or hated him so much before he killed his father because he knew that he wasn't his son and that's why he treated him so badly. Like who treats their son that badly even if they're like, you know, short? I mean, that's appalling. <laughs> so so maybe, right, like because the dragons aren't yeah, freaked out around be. him, which has been the, you know, payoff for why John was, you know, maybe Lannister's wife, Jonah, uh, was it Jonah? Joanna? Joanna something. Um, Le- Leanna maybe or Leanna, I don't know. Anyway, Tyron's mum. <laughs> she, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, slept around for kicks. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like that's kind of one of the hobbies uh, in this world, for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, it's interesting. Just, there's, there's a lot going on. And, of course, you know, we're running out of people that you can kill, but one of them has to go either the hound or the mountain, and that's going to be a good fight. I mean, that's going to be a cracker. We're looking forward to that one. You can't have that one. That's an interesting, that's one thing too that I didn't quite grasp, which is that, you know, in order for, and and there may be people who know more about the lore could sort of explain this in greater detail, but so the mountain, right, if I'm not mistaken, like he really, he was basically dead, right? And he was turned into this kind of almost Frankenstein kind of creature. Is Mm -hmm. that, am I right about that? So like Cersei Lannister and her whole, crew of uh, baddies in uh, the South, like, why are they so surprised then to see, you know, a dead uh, soldier from the army of the dead? Like, she's got her own dead, like, super ubermensch kind of guy, right? I mean, I don't know. It just seemed like, it, it seemed weird. It seems like I don't quite understand what's going on with that character, like how he was sort of reanimated. <laughs> yeah, but I think there's like a difference between like uh, reanimated, which, you know, obviously a number of people seem to have been, but and then there's the kind of like they are dead and you can't kill them except for with, you know, fire or um, some dragon stuff. I mean, it's just, I felt, I don't know. Obsidian I, or I um, yeah. I just well, feel like... Certainly, well, it's I just certainly feel like one of those things where... Great, great, great. The, char- the, the build-up for that, it's going to be some just... I mean, hopefully it's going to be one-on-one action and not buried in the middle of some other major battle, right? But they're yeah, just so going to have to, say, to I fight mean, to I, death. I, whether or not are they going to go out with a bang or are they going to go out with a whimper? Like, is it going to be huge or is it going to be... like? It's it's a tough one. It's a big... Uh, for the showrunners, I think, you know, it's a it's definitely... Um, it's a, it's a it's a hardy climb, you know, to try to deliver. I, I think there's going to be some big stuff, as in, you know, there's a theory going around that Bran is going to be the person that actually built the wall eight thousand years ago, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because you know, there's the whole kind of, you know, he can travel through time thing we haven't been avoiding, um, and so you could go back in time and have some really big stuff. And they had some of that in this app, right, where they went back and showed, you know, a big old flashback. Um, so. And there's some other stuff that feels like it's it's un um, how can I put this like stuff with Sam doesn't feel like it's fully played out like there seems to be more going on here than that. like Sam to me seems like such a great character and I just feel like maybe he's destined for an unusually big role in the last you know because yeah could be sorry. I thought I thought there was a great a great joke that I I saw where you know in this last two episodes it was that uh, Sam Tarley the the you know maester in training who yeah. leaves uh, that he's sort of like um, Google <laughs> he's like the Game of Thrones Google and that uh, uh, the three eyed Raven or. I think it's weird they call him Bran for yeah. Brandon. That's a weird short for Brandon. I always think of like Bran Muffins, like he okay. must be really regular or something. But um, uh, 
but that he's like, so Sam is like Google for, for uh, Brandon Stark. And so if he's not sure of something, he just basically has to talk to Sam Tarley, who's read all this stuff. Although it was actually his girlfriend or wife or whatever who uh, discovered this thing. And he just sort of takes credit for it, which I thought was kind of clever. Um, <laughs> but they, but he, he just has to ask him. And so he, then he knows where to go. He's sort of like a guide for the three-eyed raven to know like, oh, you should go back and see, oh, they actually were married, you know. And he, so he's able to instantly go back to that time and see what took place. So I don't know. I thought that was really interesting, but I like the re- referring to him as Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just think that there's a there's a lot of stuff that that you could do with it, and I understand the criticism of tying everything up like a like a bow. But by the same token, at some point you need. I'm halfway through at the moment. Um, uh, the Handmaid's Tale, and I'm, oh, uh-huh. I'm so incredibly depressed. <laughs> I really hope that like uh, like you know a normal story, there will actually be some ray of hope to an otherwise incredibly bleak existence. So if you know what's going on, obviously most people listening to this would because they've watched it. I haven't. I'm only halfway through. I'm struggling. I mean, it's not that I'm struggling because I don't love it. I think it's spectacularly great television. It's just it's so brutal. depressing. And yeah. like, um, I, I well, get this. I, I have to say, that's Margaret Atwood who wrote the book that that show is obviously based on. That is my all-time favorite writer. I mean, she is all, I've read, I think, all but one book that she's written. Like, uh, I think she's an amazing, she's a Canadian uh, science fiction writer and sort of, you know, social commentary. Um, I think she's a, a genius. And I think that uh, execution of that story, there was a, a much earlier movie version of that that was made with Natasha Richardson and um, I can't remember who else was in it, but that's uh, maybe Robert Duvall, I think, was in it um, years and years ago, like in the I think like the late eighties or early 1990s. And, um, and it's, it's okay. It's an interesting telling of the tale, but this Hulu series with, um, uh, Peggy Olson from, uh, Mad Men <laughs> is so good. It's so bleak. It's so dark, but it's, it's photographed in like the most beautiful way. Uh, it's written, uh, very, and acted like with just such, um, uh, like it was such a high level of skill. But what's interesting is, you know, having been, uh, I, I know the story of the book. I've actually read the book twice uh, and um, knowing the book really well, it's very, very close to the book in a, in a whole host of ways. But, Except um, for that the book's all from her point of view, right? According to somebody that knows. Right. The book is from her point of view. And the, I think what they're going to do, I don't know this and this is no don't, spoiler don't spoil or anything, it. but I, I won't okay. spoil it. But, but, um, they are already um, doing a second season yes. of the show, right? It, it doesn't end, but the book does have an ending. It's actually kind of a, a famously frustrating ending for a lot of people in terms of the book. But my understanding is that the television show, like Margaret Atwood is involved in the writing yes. of it. Yes. Um, and so I think they're kind of taking it in a slightly, not different direction, but like um, maybe a more concise and more clear direction. It's interesting too, at least in the United States right now, um, how relevant in a really scary way yes. uh, that show seems right now. Um, just to sort of tangentially kind of go off into the- You mean tangentially of, uh, go off other... inside a rat hole that we're already in, yes? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to continue down. Can I, can I just say, anyway. by the way, you really identified yourself by calling her Peggy, whereas Elizabeth Moss, I'm going for Zoe Bartlett, I'm just saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I would I would have forgotten the uh, the Zoe Bartlett. You cannot one. forget was, Zoe. Well, see, you uh, now again. Zoe is kidnapped City, with the but, and the nightclub no, but, with the dude that put the thing in a drink. Oh my see, god! See, you, you, I think you are actually the friend of mine who ruined uh, the West Wing for me because you turned me on to that Danish show Borgen. Yep. which was like is a Danish version almost of the West Wing with a female prime minister. And I have to say, that was one of the best series. I, I, I mean, the last season, maybe not as hot, but the first season of that show was so good. Like, I think you kind of ruined the West Wing for me no. because you introduced me to Borgen. But, 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 I liked but better, better. Than, better than Borgen is, uh, is the bridge from the same geographical region of the world. The, the Swedish version of it? The original Is one, it yeah. Swedish? The Danish-Swedish yeah. one. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that. Oh, uh, 
There's a terrible version of the bridge that's like uh, not the tunnel, California, no, Mexico. No, the original one. one. And then the tunnel, just, yeah, the tunnel which has no. the guy from Game of Thrones and uh, no, no, the original uh, one. It's the original that is just so good. But let's get back to Game I of think Thrones. I, Okay, yeah, Because anyway. people don't want to hear about, and we've now got <laughs> like six digress. shows away from, from Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> well, it's cool, it's cool to hear what other people, it is cool to hear what other people are watching though, because there is such a wealth of, uh, you know, a, a, what do you call it, an embarrassment of riches right now in terms of what's happening I, I do on feel though that, so. that Game of Thrones is the most significant show on television at the moment, and I really query whether HBO will ever be able to hit this again. I mean, I think Westworld is spectacularly good and I would prefer it as a TV show. I mean, if you made me watch mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. of two seasons, I'd quickly go to Westworld first over Game of Thrones because I just adore that show. But that being said, Game of Thrones is at seven series and holding it, whereas, you know, who knows whether they'll hold it uh, in um, for that long for Westworld. I mean, it could, you know, go yeah. downhill after yeah. the, the big kind of reveal stuff has all played out. Um, it's a challenge facing that. That, uh, but leave that aside for a second. The economics of it, the economics of running uh, anything this expensive and this big that provides this many jobs to this many visual effects artists, because uh, even Westworld is like not on the same level of uh, you know VFX production budget that this stuff is. This is you know an incredibly important show culturally to our industry and to the artists involved. It's. Um, you know, it's really made television very important in a visual effects sense. The way that I feel like uh, Sopranos made um, HBO important in a dramatic sense. Uh, but, you know, I just don't see another mm-hmm. mega visual effects spectacular like this that's going to command this kind of international no, I think you're right. cooperation. I mean, not not yet, you know. I mean, I think there's always like, you know, these, I mean, Game of Thrones, at least for me, it really came out of nowhere as a show. Like, I didn't know that mm. this was something that was coming. I, maybe there are people who were really following this closely, but when it really did sort of come to, um, uh, you know, come come to premiere on HBO and it sort of really captured this cultural zeitgeist and became such a huge show and they've been able to continue to garner, you know, greater and greater resources to um, really push both the you know locations, the uh, the uh, length of episodes, and then without question the visual effects in terms of all the stuff they've done, and um, you know certainly the last well really every season, but in particular in these last uh, two seasons, in season six and season seven, I think with all the stuff with the dragons being at full scale, all the naval um, uh, stuff they're doing in terms of you know these kind of. Uh, Game of Thrones esque ships uh, on the sea, some in stormy seas, some uh, you know traveling in huge armadas, um, getting that kind of really great uh, simulation, um, and the same kind of stuff that you see maybe in um, the pirate show Black Sails, uh, where they were doing the wake of these uh, large scale ships and the fluttering of sails and stuff, and seeing all that stuff come together. Um, I mean, it's huge. It's it's it is no different in my mind. Uh, to what you see when you go to the cinema. And in some ways, it's almost more fun than what you see in the cinema just because, you know, they have an opportunity through a long form like this to really dive deep into uh, character backstories, character motivations, and really have a much larger, more sort of ensemble uh, presentation. Let me, go tangentially, let me go tangentially the to too. the title sequence because it's not, it's not irrelevant, right? But um, mm-hmm. Elastic's done the titles for Game of Thrones. It's won Emmys for it, right? How much do you pay attention to the title sequence in Game of Thrones? <laughs> me personally? I, now, I know that there's a lot of little changes that are shown and presented in the tweaking and changing of that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I have, you, uh, I, yeah, for me, that's a little bit... Uh, like it's when I hear that music come on, I'm like, okay, great. I can, you know, go grab a, another beer or, uh, you know, hit the facilities before the show starts. Like I, I know that a lot of people sort of religiously watch that for those subtle little changes. I think the concept, the animation, um, the, the movement, um, the sort of, you know, uh, expanding puzzle piece kind of time clock kind of, um, design aesthetic uh, that they've created for that title sequence is it's brilliant it's it's so cool but i'm i'm probably not the guy that uh picks it apart <laughs> i mean there are obviously different um you know maps that show different things depending mm-hmm. on where the season is at and like obviously where people are at in the in the plot line which i think is interesting um i'd say 
stylistically, um, I like Westworld's titles more. And in terms of underlining what's going on in a show, I like um, uh, Silicon Valley's the most. I think that's the most intelligent use of a title sequence for underlying the nature of a show um, because it's just hysterical in basing everything that happens after it in a context of the evolving world of Silicon Valley. Um, sure. The thing about this one I found is interesting is while I like it stylistically and uh, in terms of execution, the very end of it bugs the bajillicans out of me. It just feels like someone on flame has been playing with the optical sort of filters and it, it just feels heavily filtered in a post-processing sense. Whereas you the, mean that the sort of astrolabe thing that kind of and the and the swordy kind of flame behind the the you know it's not a sword but you know like a band kind of thing mm-hmm. that's going on. It all just feels like somebody's hit the heat haze and the optical kind of <laughs> optics button and just a bunch of other overlaid things. Whereas yeah, I hear the earlier sort of um, stop frame animation feel of the assembly of a city or a town or whatever. Spectacular, love it to death. I just felt at the mm-hmm. end it just fell into, you know, I'm, I'm not picking at After Effects because I, I initially said Flame, but After Effects plugins, you know what I mean? Flame yeah, plugins, yeah. what do you want to call it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, I think that gets back into, you know, logo design and title design, I think is, is a, you know, a very okay, well, I'll, special I'll my area. Out and say, of all of the crafts, costume, hair, makeup, that end part of the title sequence is the only bit that to me looks like it's <laughs> it's not, you know, punching above it its weight. Fit. Like honestly, yeah. like yeah. the <laughs> costumes in this last two eps were spectacular. Her on back of the dragon was just, oh my God. And the kind of the authentic nature of the guys, you know, going through the snow and like how you've felt it. And there were just great moments of them tying shoes and doing all sorts of things that just, you know, said that we've completely thought this through. You know, the Night King's outfit is just, really detailed and wonderful, but not the end of the beginning of the freaking factor. Having said that, the beginning of the title sequence has production value. You, you dig that part. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where I think of all the kinds of, um, you know, if if we were to, to quibble with that closing bit where the actual title of the show is shown um, and sort of how that's executed, I think if you go and look at uh, almost every sort of, sort of dragon kind of uh, sword and sorcery kind of fantasy movie that you can find. I, I would say that having <laughs> having students who love this stuff and who love doing design, I, I see oftentimes uh, work that's generated that's really making an effort to create, um, you know, let's say a, a title for a fantasy game or something. They They always look kind of corny. And I think they look corny because text... And that era, like it's not a text-heavy genre, and so like to design and create and execute a really successful font <laughs> and display, like just as a design problem, I think it's really really difficult to do it and have it function because the the title sequence with all the bits and pieces coming up, it's very clean. It's a very clean design. Um, it's a simple design in in a lot of ways. Um, in, it's not simple in terms of I'm sure the difficulty in executing, but but the uh, the lines and the design aspects are simple. But then there's a this kind of baroque, almost like a you know iron carved or stone carved aesthetic or, or wood carved aesthetic to the to the final title that appears. And I just think somehow something like that generated in CG or as a title, it just to me it just looks kind of cornball. I think, and I, I just think it's a problem. It's a difficult design problem. Yeah, I mean, there are solutions to that. I'm sure I've seen someone <laughs> do a really great, um, you know, Chaucer level tapestry kind of thing, and and other things. Yeah, that, or like an again, illuminated manuscript kind yeah. of thing is sort of. The and I mean, there's that not a, it's of, not guess, unprecedented but, for them to have books, and there are bloody great libraries in this show. You know, I mean, although the libraries, I have to say, at the like Maester School that uh, Sam Tarley goes to, yeah, there's yeah. one the establishing. There's one establishing shot of that library yep. environment that, like, it defies like architectural logic, right? <laughs> in some way, it's so it's so crazy and extreme. It it looks like something you know out of like 
it looks like parts of it are being suspended through magic, you know, rather than, which maybe is the case, I don't know, but rather than through like an actual sort of load-bearing kind of plan of how to build a library to contain, you know, thousands of, um, of books. Anyway, <laughs> that was a, that's one effects thing that I remember looking at that and being like, Ooh, that's, that's kind of a tough, that's a tough design to try to pull off and make work. Like it, it didn't feel like it was, it didn't get the same amount of love as um, the, uh, the, uh, the frozen lake battle, <laughs> let's just say, which I, it doesn't surprise me either. It's like, it's more of a, a short plot point where they need to execute something and it's probably just not getting that same level of um, financial support or of just attention in general, because it's really a passing moment uh-huh. and not one that, you know, you're supposed to look at and pick apart in the same way. Okay, so going into series eight, just to finish up, which house are you? Um, hmm. I mean, you know, kind of going all along, I, I sort of think it would be cool to see um, uh, Daenerys, mother of dragons, you know. Uh, I, I like her um, sort of uber socially democratic... Uh, <laughs> modality where, I mean, I think she does have this kind of uh, youthful, semi-arrogant kind of sense of birthright, but at the same time too, like, I dig that she's like all about like freeing the slaves, you know, and kind of like hooking it up. If you were to sort of name the star of the show, I would say it'd be Pete Dinklage, right? Because like Tyron Lannister is just a defining role, once in a lifetime role for any actor. He's I redefined think it was him, but I don't think it's of, him anymore. Of, uh, that have you know clearly been marginalised into either funny roles or dwarf roles or support sure. roles, a leading man well, role. A right? I mean, he is actor, in every respect sure. a heroic leading man of complexity and depth of acting. And the fact totally. in these last two episodes he was offering bad advice just only goes to underline the fact that he is a you know classically interesting character because he's not uh, black or white, always right, always wrong. And yet, you know, uh, when he when he survived being killed, seeing, going to seeing the most, what was it, the most murderous woman in the world, he immediately just goes <laughs> and gets a drink. Do you think, yeah. do you think uh, Tyron Lannister's path, I mean, he, he almost feels like he's out of juice, which makes me think that he's going to not be. Well, that could be. I, I think actually for you know, such a tremendous actor. I mean, I've loved him and, uh, you know, all the, all the series of the game of Thrones, I thought, you know, it, looking back at some of his movie roles, like in station agent, he was hilarious on Saturday night live and his space pants skit that he did. And, um, I loved him as the initial voice of the uh, ghost in the destiny game. I thought he was great. I was kind of bummed when they replaced him with the other guy who's good too, but he's just, he's no, um, you know, we called him uh, Dinklebot. My son and I referred to him as the Dinklebot in Destiny. But um, you know, he's great. I just think this last season, it felt like uh, he fulfills a role that moves the plot forward. But I didn't feel like he was utilized uh, in the same way with the same heft and depth that he'd been used. He was in this last episode where he goes to see his sister. Uh, I think that was really great. But but the whole season really I felt like he was kind of like a back burner character he didn't feel like he was so, at the so forefront. don't you think that that means that he'll come through in the next like it feels to me like he his role as the hand is an end game role in any other environment so I think that would be really cool I'd love to see that I feel like and and maybe it, there is some misdirection in terms of uh, how they've sort of made us or set it us set us up to feel as if I just uh, feel like the John Snow. Okay, so this is my prediction. Is I feel the that in focus. the D on D action that's going to happen, you know, and everybody else is going to be a lot of people that kill each other off, and you're going to end up with the I Claudius finish, which is the one person that they mocked ends up to be the person that you know rules them all. That could be. That's my prediction. Yeah. I'm sticking it out there. I have a weird theory that the person who winds up being the king, and this is super out there, but I think it's the the Onion Knight. He winds up sitting on the throne, <laughs> right? You know the guy with the little claw, the little hand. Okay, that's my theory. I don't know why. He's my he's my wild card. Why? I don't know. 
He just, I, I, I did read a long time ago. I read like on some rumor site that like the author of the book said that the ending of the saga, like, would probably let some people down because it wasn't going to be who. At least that's what he said. You know, who knows? I, I don't know if he even really knows what. The, I, I just think you can't have, you can't have John or somebody just end up on the. You know, it's just too. You know, you need almost everybody else to be dead. And the person that they hail as the the great is the one. That, I mean, that would just be much more. I, I love Di Claudius. Well, there is that whole metaphor there that they keep talking about about uh, you know breaking the wheel or yep. whatever, right? So that like nobody winds up on the throne, and that seems kind of like an interesting end game yeah. too, where it's sort of like the throne. Yeah, like structurally that con- that concept and that idea. Um, I actually did think that the um, just to get a small side note, but the uh, the Targaryen castle that they go to, right, where all the dragon glass and stuff is. Yeah, I actually thought that throne was way more badass than the sword throne. <laughs> <laughs> that weird rock structure, that thing was crazy. Like it looked like something straight out of um, the uh, Queen Flash Gordon movie. <laughs> okay, well, I think we're gonna have to wind it up there, but it's been uh, fun talking to you. Um, Pretty, pretty sure we stayed on a uh, topic about as much as we normally do. Um, definitely looking forward to several long, long, cold winters before I get to see what happens at the end of this. But boy, there yeah. will be no other television worth watching when this comes back to, to close out. It'll be, um, um, in my prediction, it'll be like MASH level. You remember the end of MASH? That was like just chants all of the previous ratings. It'll be, uh, yeah. you know, Super Bowl level, the final episode of the oh, final I'm series sure. of... Game of Thrones, unless somebody says close to the end, oh, they're going to make a movie out of it, in which case we're all going to go, they're going to leave hooks and leave things unresolved. (laughs) Yep. Is Is it in fact an injustice at this point to act as if a movie of this would be somehow better than this, which is always the assumption, right? If you go on to make a movie of a show, you get to do it kind of in a bigger way. I just think it would be. I think it should stay as a TV show and be... I totally agree. I think that I think what's happening in television. I mean, you know, we can we can debate this, uh, like, you know, to talk about what is sounds so cornball, but to say what is cinema in terms of what is like uh, what makes for a theatrical release movie that you know yep. then sort of captures some kind of uh, following as an audience or is uh, deemed to be a great film. I would say that, uh, you know, with very few exceptions, I actually think that, you know, most of the best narrative uh, storytelling is happening on television and it has been for the better part of the last, you know, seven or eight years now. And I think it just keeps getting better and better. And when I go to the cinema, not always, but oftentimes I go to the cinema and I'm I'm kind of disappointed in what I see. I sort of feel like, eh, you know, yeah, I could have probably watched that on TV, you know. And some of the cinemas that uh, that are easy to get to in certain, um, you know, urban or, or suburban areas, you know, some of the screens in some of the theaters are pretty dinky, you know. They're not much bigger, when depending upon where you're sitting, than what your TV would be at home. And I think that's a real problem for the cinema-going experience moving forward in terms of it, having the same kind of um, impact and sort of uh, capturing the sort of the culture, popular culture, in the way that it has, you know, for most of our lifetimes. I think it's, it's going to be G- more Game of Thrones will be the Star forward. Wars for the people that are younger today. It'll be the, you know, totally. the thing that they look at as the, the communal totally point agree. of experience that visually affected, that had visual effects that affected them, if you know what I mean. I totally agree. I think that's a really good assessment. I think, and I think we should say too, uh, you know, for anybody who's been working on this show, and I know a couple of people who've been working on the last season for sure. Like, I mean, I would be so proud to put any of this stuff on my reel. I mean, it's it is spectacular work, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, to me, it's it's on par, if not better, uh, in a lot of ways than a lot of the work uh, in some of the films that get released theatrically. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing it doesn't, show. It doesn't, with, yeah, it doesn't seem like formulaic. It looks like the people love it. Not at hey, all. Can I just say one not thing? If, if, if Tyron Lannister doesn't do it, I'd, my second choice, very unlikely. My, like uh, you said, you know, you had a, a wild card. My wild card, I'd love it to be the Grey Worm. 
<laughs> that would be really cool. That, you yeah, know, that all good. of these houses are gone and it's like, we're not going to do that house thing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, I'm going to have yeah. to sign off, but it's been great talking to you. Thanks, guys, so much for listening. Obviously, um, you know where to find me. I'm on FX Guide and, uh, and on Twitter as Mike Seymour. Um, Matt, where can people sort of find out where you're at and contact you and complain about your total lack of understanding of the significance <laughs> of the Westworld? Uh, sorry, uh, Westman. I, I've, I've got my uh, my website uh, is mattwallen.com, although it's been a little dormant for the last uh, couple months. But uh, also, I'm on uh, Twitter at Matt Wallen. That's a great place to get in touch with me, and always at um, Virginia Commonwealth University here in Richmond, uh, Richmond, Virginia, at the uh, School of the Arts at DCU. And we thought we'd deep dive into a retro show next. We thought we'd go for. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, what we need to know is whether we should be doing the director's cut or the original cut. Matt, what do you reckon? No, we're, we're, we're talking about... I, so, I don't know that this is... I'm pretty sure this is a, a, a worldwide re-release, right? The 40th anniversary of Close Encounters of the Third Kind is this year. Um, it's 40 years ago this year that the film came out in the theaters. And um, I just went and saw the 40th anniversary... 4K remastered, um, you know, recolor timed uh, <laughs> digital projection um, here in Richmond, Virginia on a big screen. I went with my wife and my son. It's the non-director's cut. It's the original theatrical version. So it doesn't have the the sequence where <laughs> we see uh, Richard Dreyfus inside the mothership. But um, if, if any like sort of younger listeners uh, never saw this film in the theater or maybe have never seen Close Encounters, which is kind of scary that, again, a lot of my students have never seen it. Um, you know, it's it's why things like Stranger Things are so popular. It's sort of, you know, that's a show that's trying to sort of in a popular cultural way today recapture some of what was so great about movies like Close Encounters, like a real cultural touchstone film. It's the only film that Steven Spielberg actually wrote and directed. Um, and it's really like, it's his movie. It's like, you can watch that movie and everything that he's done since then is in that film. Um, I went with my family, like we laughed, we cried, like it is a spectacular film. I would, I would even say it's, it's a masterpiece. So if you get a chance to see it in a theater, I think it's playing for just one more week. And then I think they're, Maybe it'll stay here and there in a couple places. But if you do have a chance to see it in your town, I would strongly encourage people to just go and check it out. I mean, it's it's something I, at least, uh, I'd be surprised if you regretted it. it it's great. It's, it is a masterpiece, and you'll never look at mashed potato the same way again. <laughs> or shaving cream, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Matt, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Um, we have a bunch of uh, other guests that will be joining us as per normal, but it was good to have a, a bit of a one-on-one uh, not quite the D on D action we're going to see in 2019, but there you go, some M on M action. Uh, until next time, guys, I'm Mike Seymour. See ya. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.